If you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3. You're, if you have a phone or a, a tablet or something, a device, and you have the app, Philippians chapter 3 will continue in Philippians this morning. Here, here's what's becoming, as we've been studying Philippians and just all together, what, for me, what's come really into focus is the, the one importance for us as a church and for us as individual followers of God is to just really press in to Jesus and worshiping Jesus and worshiping God in a way that becomes greater than anything else in our lives. And um, so, so what, I'm, what I'm pulling out of, as, as we've been looking at Philippians, is, is Paul's encouragement to really just focus in on God, his kingdom, and what he's doing in our lives and in the lives of other people. This is, this is what's, what's just coming into focus for me. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I had, a, I was sitting in the office over here, and I had a guy, I, I saw a guy pull into the parking lot and make a beeline to the front door. And, and so I, I was like, oh, somebody's approaching. And because not very many people just show up at the church during the week. A lot of times I spend the whole week here by myself wishing somebody would show up. But, um, but this guy beelines to the door, comes right through the doors, right through the, the, the front door of the office, and I meet him at the, at the door of, of my office, the interior door, and, I, and he just, just blazes in with a bunch of questions. Hey, I, I just wanted to stop by and check out and see who you guys were and what's going on. And I said, oh, okay, well, hi, I'm, my name's Tom. And then he, he, he kind of, oh, okay, and he sh- shared his name with me. And, and then he said, well, you know, he started telling me that he wanted to know what kind of vineyard church we were. And, and, I, and I share with him, oh, we're a church plant from the Syracuse Vineyard. And he said, oh, great. I know a lot of people that go to the Vineyard Syracuse. I was, oh, wonderful. And so then he says, it's so great to have a church here in Warsaw that worships in this way and does these things and does these things. And he started to list things that we don't do. And, and it was things, ideals about God that he felt were very important to him and he's and he was tagging them to us and so he's really up to pace at this point talking and I said hey hey um it's great we're having this conversation but I just need to let you know that those things that you're saying you might not find here at branches he says well what do you mean and I said yeah what you just said and I don't want to list the specifics I said what you just said they're not bad and and they're not they're not unimportant, but for us, that's not our focus. And he immediately became extremely, extremely upset. And, and I, I considered it, he started physically assaulting me. And we're standing face to face. And he starts yelling at me, well, then you're not the real church. And John Wimber, who John Wimber, if you don't know, is, the, is kind of the founder of, of the Vineyard Church. John Wimber would be rolling over in his grave right now and say, oh, no, 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 no. No, you're wrong. I, I mean, and, I, and, then, and then I realized... This is not going to be an argument that I'm going to get into. But he just started berating me and, and slamming the way we do church. And, and I realized that his religion was, he was, was really important to him, and, and we weren't going to meet what he was looking for in a church. And so I, as, he's, as he's drilling me and really hammering me, I grab his hand, and I said, hey, man, Thanks for coming in, but let me just tell you, you don't ever need to come to Branches Vineyard Church. And it caught him off guard. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, you don't need to come here on a Sunday because you're looking for a certain 
ideal of religion that's, that's, that's very important to you, you're not looking for a place to come and be in community and worship Jesus, but you're looking for us to do something for you that we're just frankly not going to do. And as I'm telling him this, he, he, he kind of gets a really, like, he's really, like, perplexed that I would tell him don't come to church. And, um, and I'm still holding on to his hand, and I feel him kind of go to pull his hand away from me. Well, I gripped down a little bit tighter. <laughs> and I said, I, at this point, he yells in my face, and I, I just thought it was an interesting phrase, let loose of my hand, which I thought, are we living in the 1800s? Let loose of my hand. So when he did that, I gripped down tighter. And then I, I had this brief thought go through my head that I wonder if I could be arrested for this, like <laughs> holding somebody captive. And I said to him, I said, hey, man, I said, somewhere along the line, you've been taught something that's, that's just not Jesus. And you've, been, you've, you've held on to some religion that you need to get rid of. Would you let me pray for you? And he once again yelled in my face, let loose of my hand. He ripped his hand out of my hand, and I released at that point. Um, and he literally turned and ran out the door, got in his car, sped off, and was gone. At this point, adrenaline is flowing through my body. Like, I was shaking. And I was like, what just happened? And so I, I called Syracuse. Do you guys know this guy? And, and I was able to find somebody that knew this guy. And just a long story short, I was saddened that this guy had religion attached to him, that he believed certain things had to be followed out to, to fulfill your relationship with God. That a list of things that had to be followed out to fulfill your relationship with God. And it, what, what I realized, this guy has a religion attached on him, and he has no freedom to just worship Jesus. Kind of what Dave was saying this morning, what he read in Psalm, that, that the religion takes away this freedom to worship Jesus. And, and, and so what I was thinking is Jesus coming to earth, living amongst us, dying on a cross, raising from the grave for our sins is God's plan to reach down and connect back with his creation, with his people, and have relationship with us the way that we were created to be. And, and it's Jesus and, and it's God's plan for that to take place. But what religion is, is religion is man's plan and, and set of rules and procedures to reach and obtain some sort of a status with God to where we're okay. Do you guys get the, the, see the difference in that? That we tend to have these ideas of if I do a certain number of things or, or walk a certain line or dress a certain way that I can reach God. And, and I find that religion stinks. I don't like religion. And, and I don't like that a lot, of, a lot of what it feels to be external things have to take place as far as my, the way some of us comb our hair. You, did you catch that I had to rethink that? <laughs> I was going to say the way I comb my hair. The way some of us comb our hair and the way we dress and the way we speak and the way we talk, that these are the things that bring us in relationship with, with Jesus. And, and here's the thing. Jesus dealt with the same thing. It was, this isn't new to us. This has been going on since the beginning. Jesus dealt with the same thing. Look, at in John chapter 9, Jesus healed a man who was born blind, and the guy was able to see. 
In Luke chapter 13, Jesus healed a woman who had been bent over for 18 years. She couldn't straighten up, and Jesus healed her, and she was able to straighten up and walk straight. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus healed a man who had this hand that was withered. You guys remember this story. Here's the thing about this story. The Pharisees, the religious people of the day, took great offense in Jesus healing these three people specifically. But it wasn't that Jesus healed him. It was that Jesus healed these three people on the Sabbath day. On the day that they had determined was a day that you had to not do certain things or only do certain things. And so that's what they were going after Jesus for is not that he performed a miracle, not that somebody was able to see or somebody was able to walk or somebody who was able to use their hand, but because they, he did it on a specific day of the week. And Jesus, in other, in other scripture, he countered back with the Pharisees when they challenged him on this by saying, you guys are hypocrites. You do the same thing when it fits what you want. And, and he uses this example. He says, if you have a baby boy, and on the eighth day, when it's time to circumcise in order to fulfill the, the, the law, if, it's t- if that falls on a Sabbath day, you will perform the circumcision on, a, on the Sabbath day to fulfill the law, yet you're going to give me trouble for healing somebody, bringing wholeness to a person on the Sabbath day. So, so, so this, this idea of religion has is, is been there, it's with us, and it's, and it's going to be with us. And here's what I want to dig into this morning as we look at um, Philippians chapter 3. Just this big idea for us to take home that when I lose my religion, I gain Jesus. When I lose and shed the word I keep like coming to mind is shed. When I shed all the stuff that I think makes me look good to God, I, I gain a relationship with Jesus. And, and, and so look with me in, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And as I read it, Paul's writing and he says, Whatever happens, how many of you in your Bible it says finally instead of whatever happens? Let me just tell you that's a pastor thing. Because Paul says finally and that would be like me in five minutes saying, now in conclusion, and then still talking for another 20 minutes. He's writing finally at the beginning of chapter 3. He still has a, two chapters to go. So you kind of have to wonder what's going on. But my version says, whatever happens. So, so we, you know, we're thinking about what's, what, he's, what he's talked about over verses ch- or chapters 1 and 2. But he says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He says, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own effort, I have even more. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who, who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as far as righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to, with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. 
Here's what I see in these in this this these eight verses. I see Paul getting really fired up. As I've I've read these verses this week and and over the past couple of weeks, and it's like Paul is Paul's fired up when he writes this. And what I see is Paul he's cussing in these verses. Now I checked with the censors of the church. We have. I have a sensor that keeps me on track of what I'm allowed to say on Sunday mornings. And I, there's a certain word that's going to come up in, the, in this scripture. And I asked him, could I use the word that translates for today? And he told me that I probably couldn't. So I'm going to clean it up. But what, what I want to show is Paul is extremely fired up in his writing. But before he gets really, really fired up, he goes and, and he gives us this encouragement. He says, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. I don't get tired of saying it to you guys. Rejoice in the Lord. In, in Philippians, in four chapters, 116, I think, or whatever verses, you could count it up, just over 100 verses, 16 times Paul encourages the, the readers, the church at Philippi, to rejoice in the Lord or have joy in the Lord. So he's telling us, whatever takes place in your life, rejoice in the Lord. What does this mean? It means for us to take delight in God. It means for us to, to enjoy being in the presence of God, to, to live with joy in our heart because of who Jesus is in our life. And, and here's what I think about re, rejoicing in the Lord. It's a choice. I can choose to let things, outward things in my life affect my joy, or I can say, no, I'm gonna choose to rejoice in who Jesus is in my life. We, we, can, we can take our happiness and our happiness even though life tends to kind of want to beat us down, should not affect our joy in who Jesus is in our life. Our outward circumstances should not dictate the joy that's within us because of Jesus in our life. I think Paul's a great example of this. Here's a guy who is sitting in in jail. He doesn't know what his fate's going to be, and he's writing a letter, a book that ends up in our Bible, and the whole thing is littered with being a joyful person, with, with rejoicing in who Christ is in our life. And so, so he's about to, to launch into a, a, a very passionate rant about some people that are, are teaching religion. But he says, before I even go there, let me just keep reminding you guys, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. And so, so for us, the, 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 the encouragement is that whatever takes place in, in the world today, when, when life is going really good, when your job, man, things are flowing good and, and you know, your, your relationships at home are great, to rejoice in the Lord. But on the turn, when life just seems to be beating us down and you, the money's not there to pay the bills or, or you're looking like it's a struggle, this is where the decision that you make to say, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm, Jesus is still my Jesus. There's still God. He's still in control. He still has my best interests. I'm going to rejoice in him. So now Paul moves on into what he, what I think is very passionate. And I really like the passion in Paul in this. He starts with this warning. He says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. So let's start with the dogs. When Paul says, watch out for those dogs, you need to remove the picture of that fluffy little furry animal in your living room right now that's going to be part of your family Christmas postcard because this is not what the dogs were. These were scavenging beasts that, that tore through the alleyways, that tore up stuff, that if you saw them on the streets, you kicked them to get out of the way. So these were the lowest of the lowest of the lowest pest running around. And Paul's, 
Paul's calling somebody this. Now, here's a guy who's been cleaned up by Jesus, right? Here's a guy who, who he loves God. He's writing about being joyous. He's, he's encouraging churches. And he's, he lowers his language to calling somebody a dog. Then he calls them evildoers. Then he calls them mutilators. Pretty, pretty harsh words to be calling somebody. And if I'm a, a person that you know, loves Jesus, I can't say words like that. But Paul's like, no, he's going to say words like this because he's referring to a people called the Judaizers. <coughs> Excuse me. And these people were followers of Jesus. They said, yes, they recognized Jesus as the Messiah. But what they were going around teaching was that in order to be fully saved, you also had to believe in Jesus and accept Jesus, but you had to continue to follow out the laws of Moses. You had to continue to fulfill the laws of Moses. And so they were teaching, and for some reason, this was the most important one, that you have to be circumcised if you're going to fulfill the law of Moses. And so what they were going to is all the, all the new Christians that weren't born as, as, as a Jew, they were going to them and demanding that in order to be fully saved, you had to be circumcised. Now, guys, think about that for a second, but not too long because it could be a painful thought. If, you're, if you get saved and in that time you were not a Jew, you may have not have been circumcised as a child. And now you're saved. And if, if the, the, the new leaders of your church that you go to say, it's great you came to Jesus, let's, let's snip, snip. Not a very good thing, right? And so this is why Paul's calling them mutilators. And, and, and I, I can see in this passion of Paul, what he's doing is he's saying, I'm sitting in prison because I'm just sharing truly about who Jesus was. And these guys are running around sharing about Jesus, but then for demanding these religious things. And this is where we see religion start to creep into Christianity. And so they're saying, you must be circumcised. And Paul's saying, don't listen to these dogs. Be, be aware of these evil people. Watch out for these mutilators because it's not, it's not what needs to happen. And he's saying, if, if, if you have to be circumcised to be saved, then what Christ did on the cross, is it cheapens what Christ did on the cross. And so, so this was not just the only time he had to deal with this. He, if you look in Galatians chapter 5, the, the, the Galatians were dealing with the same group of people. And Paul writes this. He says, Christ has truly set you free. Now make sure that you stay free. I love the freedom part in this. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Now do you see that? The contrast, slavery and freedom. And the law is the slavery. He says, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God because of being circumcised, you must obey every religious law in the whole of the law, every religion in the whole of the law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ and you have fallen far or fallen away from God's grace. So, so Paul, Paul's, um, continuing, you know, dealing with this issue of these people. While, and while he's sitting in jail, he's fired up because once again, he's hearing that these people are preaching a, a, a gospel that's not the true gospel of Jesus. Here's, here's what I love about Paul. If we look down in verse 5, here's what Paul says to them. And he's, 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 this is his wish for the Judaizers. He says, I wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Here's what Paul's saying. Those guys that are walking around saying, hey, if you really want to be close to God, snip, snip. Why don't they get really close to God and castrate themselves? 
Do you get that? He's saying, why don't they just cut it all off if that's what's going to bring you close to God? I like this about Paul. He's just, I, I, I look at it and I go, this guy's just speaking honest to a group of people that are, are hearing a bunch of junk that, that wants to attach itself to what Christ did on the cross. And then he goes on in, in Galatians. He says, for you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the law can be summed up with one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. And that goes back to what he, what he talked about as far as us being living without grumbling, without complaining, and, and being in unity and in relationship with each other. So the Judaizers thought that the rules of Moses, especially circumcision, would, would help to enter your, for a person to enter their way into heaven. And they missed the point of the freedom that Jesus brought by attaching the law of slavery to that. And so, so my question that I have to ask is, what are some of the religious things that I've attached to my salvation? And we've all been, we've all, we all, we all have done this, okay? And, and we've been taught it, or something's come along where we've picked this up. And, and what I'm saying is, when I think of myself as a Christian, and that Jesus came and, and saved me and freed me from sin, and gave me eternal life, what stuff have I attached to that to keep me going as a Christian? Have I attached that I have to dress a certain way and that's what's gonna, that's gonna keep me as a Christian? Have I attached that I have to worship a certain way, that I have to raise my hands or I can't raise my hands, I can't sway, I can't dance, I have to sit solemn? What have you attached that, that, that ties in with, with your relationship with Jesus that we need to shed? I think Paul's really encouraging us here to, it's all about Jesus. Get rid of all the other stuff that either we've added to our lives in our relationship with him or that we've allowed others to add to our lives. And then Paul uses this contrast about circumcision. He says, we, we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. And here's what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about a circumcision of the heart. Okay, and so, so this is where I start to get in the focus that religion ends up being a lot of outward stuff. I do this, I do that, I don't do this, I don't do that. And my relationship with Christ all deals with what's taking place on the inside. And the way, the way my mind is being renewed, the way my heart has changed towards him. And Paul's saying, those of you that worship Jesus are the true circumcision. The, the Christ, when you invite him into your life, he cut away the flesh of sin, the flesh of this world that is attached to your life, to your heart. He's done away with that. He's cut that off. And now you have, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. We are the true circumcision. It's not an outward physical thing. It's what takes place in our heart when we allow Christ to come and rule in our life and be our Savior. Paul says this. He says, these guys that are telling you this, that are trying to prove to you that you need to be all this ex- extra physical outward stuff, these laws, if, if they can tell you this, I'm the one that has all the rights to argue and say that I've done it all. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. When he, when he says this, he says, I'm a, I'm a legitimate Jew from the beginning. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. He says he, he's, he's, a, he's of the pure lineage. You could track his family line all the way back to the beginning. 
He says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin provided Israel with its first king and remained loyal to the house of David. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's saying, I was not raised in a Hellenistic, as a Hellenistic Jew, but in a family that retained the, human, the Hebrew language and its customs. He says, I'm a Pharisee. I, he was the member of the strictest, most, most orthodox, orthodox and patriotic sect of Judaism. And they, they were obedient to the Jewish law. He says, I was zealous, which means we saw he persecuted Christians. He says, I was righteous. I obeyed the law. If you look at one, two, three, the first four, he was born into. The Pharisee being, a, even maybe a Pharisee, the last two were things he did. So he, his religious pedigree that, that, he, that the, the Judaizers are trying to attach to being saved, Paul saying, I had it all. And we're going to see what he says about it. But Paul lived by the book. He kept all the rules. He was blameless. And, he, and it didn't make him right with God. Meeting Jesus on that road and doing away with all the religion in him and receiving Jesus who died on the cross for him is what made him right. I grew up in this church and it was a religious church. Right, Dad? Yeah. We had a lot of rules to, to follow and do. Um, when I was 12, we went to summer camp in the mountains of Southern California. In, the, in California, it's hot in the summer. If you've ever been there, it's a dry heat, but it's hot. We had to wear pants the entire week because this is what you did as Christians. You don't wear shorts. And it was the 80s, and muscle shirts, you know, where sleeveless shirts were the thing. You, you had to wear sleeves on your shirts because that's what Christians do. So as a 12-year-old, I'm at summer camp wearing pants and sleeved shirts and sweating it out. On Tuesday, if you wanted to go swimming, Tuesday was the boys' day to go swimming, so they had you meet at one place in your pants and your shirt, and you walked single-file line to the pool where you went behind a gated, closed-off, you know, gate, like fenced-off pool, and the boys changed in their bathing suits. We swam for an hour. We changed back into our pants and T-shirt and walked to where everybody could see us in our pants and t-shirts. This is what we did because we were, we were saved. And then on Wednesday, the girls got to go swimming, and so they walked in, in their pants and shirts and then changed and swam and, and did their thing. It was just what we did because we're Christians. Now, my mom, at about the same time, our family had what, what I would love to have this car. It was a 1964, Dad. Shake your head, yeah. 1964 Chevy Impala two-door super sport. So this was like Chevy's, yeah, we've got Tim Allen in the form of Judy sitting in the front row. Um, this car was awesome. Bucket seats, center, you know, console shifter. My uncle built the motor. It was a 327 that he built and put a cam in it. And I, I remember my dad telling me that this car, the motor would, would sit there and boom, boom, boom. You know, this is a good sound for a motor when it's idling because that means it's ready to roll. And it would do that so heavily that my dad and my uncle had to take cables in, a, in addition to the motor mounts and strap cables to the motor, to the frame of the car so the, mo- the motor wouldn't just rip the motor mounts right out because it had so much horsepower. So what happened was my mom one evening, 55, 60 mile an hour down this road, missed a 90 degree hairpin turn off the road and stopped abruptly against a tree. 
And the car wrapped around the tree. In fact, after her getting out of the hospital and all the stuff, we went back to the scene of the accident. And the, the owner of the house was sitting on his porch. He watched my mom smoke this tree. And he told his family, call the police. Don't go there. The person's dead. I mean, it was that severe. And then after a few minutes, my mom starts screaming. And so then they call the ambulance. So my mom spent a week in the hospital. I don't know what injuries she had. I think she had something broken in her legs, something broken in her arms. I can remember as a kid, she had scars. Like something with the glass and the dash and everything just took chunks of meat out of her legs. So she had these massive, you know, stitches and scars and stitches on her chin and on her head. I mean, the lady, they thought she had died. And so she gets out of the hospital and she's in a wheelchair. And so my aunt goes to Macy's, I believe, or one of these, you know, nice department stores and buys my mom a nice matching um, sweat kind of outfit, but nice. The kind that has like maybe some bedazzled jewels on it. I remember it would be in, it was like periwinkle, like a nice color, but not just your sweat outfit that you go and sweat in, but your sweat outfit that you go and walk around town in and buys her this nice sweat outfit to wear to church. And we go to church the first Sunday that she's able to go to church. And we show up at church. My mom's in her nice, you know, high-end sweat outfit. And that's what she was able to wear with stitches all up and down her legs and her arm in a cast or whatever was taking place. And some nice ladies of the church decided that it was the proper thing to pull my mom aside and tell her that she was dressed inappropriately to come to the house of God and worship God. And that was just like religion. Like, where is the freedom to worship God in whatever place I'm in? To worship God in a wheelchair with stitches all in my body in a nice sweat outfit. No, you can't do that. This is the religion that we allow ourselves to get attached to, that somehow we think we have to dress and look a certain way or do or act a certain way in order to be saved and go to heaven. We strip the cross and we strip what God did on on the cross for us. I need to find my place. It kind of makes me mad to think about that. I, I, somehow the pastor of that church forgot the rule that you're not supposed to run away with his secretary. Like, that's not supposed to do as a Christian. I hesitated saying that, but it's like, come on, people. If you're going to be so religious, don't sleep with your secretary also. Don't blow the church up and your family up by bailing out and doing this. But he kept all the other rules. He had his three-piece suit on a Sunday morning. The Pharisees did the same thing. Don't, 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 don't. Oh, oh, we need to circumcise this baby. It's okay. Oh, my my calf needs to go to the watering hole. Oh, it's okay. That's what religion, it's all exterior. I'm getting fired up. I feel like Paul right now. So Paul lists all his pedigree. He says, you know, if we want to boast about what external stuff we have, Let me boast about it. What external stuff do you have? Did you go to a Christian school your whole life? Yeah. Christian college? Yeah. Mom and dad, I'm just, I know they were, so I could say it. What what stuff do you, do you latch on and say, this is what makes me a Christian? You get up every morning and read your Bible. I'm not saying these things are bad. I'm just saying if they're attached to your salvation, shed it, cut it off. So here's what Paul says about all that stuff. He says, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything. I counted it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Now, here's where 
the translators of the Bible clean this up, okay? This is where I had to ask the censors, could I use a specific word? The true wording that Paul's saying is it's all human waste. It's all excrement. Do you get the point of the word I wanted to use? I, here's a sad part. If I use that word, most of us would be more offended that I use that word than if the fact that we, we let a religion attach to us. And, and my censor said, you know, Tom, you could use the word, but somebody may get offended. You might cause somebody to stumble. So I'm not going to use it. It starts with an S, ends with an it. If you know Brian Davison in this room, in this church, he works at what I call the end of the pipe. Brian Davison is, is the boss for the water or Warsaw sewage treatment. All of Warsaw sewage, when you flush your toilet, Brian Davison deals with all of it. I mean, he just, he told me he just proposed a $40 million revamping of the whole treatment system for Warsaw because Warsaw is growing. And the, the treatment center we have now is not keeping up, and they need to redo the entire treatment center. $40 million. He's the one, when you see the big trucks scoping, you know, cleaning out in downtown, it's his crew. Brian Davis is the big dog when it comes to the, the poo-poo. <laughs> if you want to know what Paul's talking about, take a tour with Brian of his plant, the cesspool of the, what comes out of the end of the pipe. When you flush your toilet, Brian's there waiting. Go visit Brian, and you'll get a full effect of Paul's attitude about what he feels about his pedigree, the religion, the, st- the law, the stuff that's taken place in relationship to knowing Jesus. In relationship to saying it's just all about God. It's, it's not about all these external things that, that make me look like I'm, I'm so-and-so or some, something to, to the rest of you. It's about what's taking place on the inside of my heart. It's about my relationship with Jesus and what he's done in my life. That, that's the only thing that's worth it. That's it. And so what, what I've seen is we've walked through the first you know, two chapters of Philippians. Is, is Paul saying, guys, look to Jesus. Keep keep. His kingdom is the focus of your life. When we do that, we can be humble people because what takes place around us, we don't have to jockey for positions. We don't have to push other people down a step up. We can be humble and we can be united as we look to Jesus. The, the grumbling, the complaining, the fighting, the bickering fades away. And when we do that, we shine to a world that needs to know him. This is what I've seen as, I've, as I looked at, at Philippians. And, and, and I need to tell you that we're going to push pause on Philippians just for the next month or so because of just scheduling stuff. But, but I, I think it's a great place to stop in this book and to say, what can we do as, as branches, as a church, and as individuals to say, let's press into to Jesus. Let's shed a lot of the junk that we think makes us great and really focus on what's happening on the inside. Because what takes place on the inside ends up coming out on the outside. We don't have to put it all on and fake it. Let's just make it happen the way the, way the Bible lays it out for us. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. So would you stand with me? And, and I just want to encourage you. What religion in your life do you need to get out so you can gain Christ? What, what's blocking you having full freedom in Jesus? 
freedom to worship, freedom to live, freedom to serve, freedom to love. What, what stuff in your life is blocking that? And you have to evaluate that and you have to ask God, God, I need to get rid of this junk. I need to flush this stuff down the toilet because that's where it belongs. And I need to have you come in and, and give me freedom and give me life. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to finish with a, a song of worship. And, and then in that time, it's just a time for us to reflect and for you to say, God, what is it in my life? What stuff am I holding on to that's important that's really just waste and cleanse? There's people that will be up here that want to pray with you. They've been asking God for, for words of encouragement, and, and, and they're ready to go. So when that time comes towards the end of the song, if, if you need prayer, come up and, and just ask somebody, to hey, would you pray with me as I engage with God and as God engages with me? And, and God will be faithful. He will meet you at the place where you, where you need to be met. And then we, we could just go and have a great day rejoicing in the Lord. So Jesus, I know that we all in our, in, in our hearts want to, want to love you and serve you and be free from the junk that we, that's attached to us. And we just want to find freedom in you. God, that's easy to say. Sometimes it's really hard for us to do. So Lord, would you... Would you just be uh, convicting and encouraging us, showing us the areas in our life that we can, we can strip away, that, that are, are holding us back, just weights that are holding us back from being free to love and serve and, and, and worship you the way that, that you brought, that we can fully like, see revealed in our lives what you brought on the cross. It's the final word. So Lord, I just pray that as you are 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 speaking to us right now as you're as you're touching people's hearts maybe answering questions god that that each person would be responding and just agreeing with what you're showing make us to be people that that just love you and keep our eyes focused on your kingdom in jesus name